Hey everyone, how you doing out there? Hope you're having a good day, and if it's not good that it turns around pretty soon. The show you're about to hear was taped earlier this year in London at the home of my guest, the legendary DJ Fat Tony. Before we get into it, though, I want to tell you about the delights awaiting you over at patreon.com slash Friends, the home of the one and only Hot Dog Club. By joining Hot Dog Club, you not only get an ocean of exclusive content, you also help to support this show. Recent episodes include a lengthy, girthy listener questions with my darling Sophie Anderson, a two-parter bonus episode with our pal Didi, and a three-hour movie club spectacular all about the groundbreaking queer classic Outrageous, featuring my guests Katya and Devin Green. Hot movie club news. Karen from Finance will be joining me soon for a very special movie club all about 9 to 5. Yes, we're going to get into every nook and cranny of the Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin classic. Not only that, Peaches Christ will be taping an in-depth movie club with me all about whatever happened to baby Jane, and soon to drop our movie clubs with Willem and Gabby Dunn. So head on over now, see which reward tier works best for you. we got the $1, the $5, the $7, and $10 tiers, and upward all the way up to the executive producer tier, of which the people's candidate, Lindsay Rose, is the proud title holder. In addition to all that stuff, there's weekly Zoom Hangouts, Live from Lockdown, Might Just Be Coming back as a hot dog club exclusive and a lot more so head on over to patreon.com slash craig and friends and slide on into the thunder buns of hot dog club and while you're on your way over make sure you've subscribed to this show on your itunes or spotify and uh, rate and review i personally think the five star rating is the most appropriate but then again i'm slightly biased as i know the guy who makes this show now that we've got that all sorted let's get into my chat with dj fat tony a russian ballerina stopping on a bureaucrat a perky suburban housewife who just got into scats. Give it a beep, boop, 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 bow, boop, boop, boop. It's whimsically volatile. Dear listeners, brace yourself and brush your teeth, because on this episode I have the privilege of presenting a man who is a celebrated and legendary DJ, a cornerstone of British queer culture, and a true survivor who escaped the clutches of a terrifying and all-consuming drug addiction that led him not only to homelessness, but also an ill-advised career as an amateur self-treating dentist. Please put your hands together and join me in giving a warm and wet, whimsically volatile welcome to my guest, DJ Fat Tony. That's <laughs> welcome. Thank you, and thank you <laughs> for having me. That's a welcome me. and a half, isn't it? <laughs> and thank you for having me at your place. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, it's uh, lovely. It's my second visit to London, and uh, it just extended This is it, a actually. great area to live it's in. Fabulous. This is like, yeah, Pimlico, it's very bedknobs yeah. and broomsticks around here. Like white houses. <laughs> And, yeah, you know, it's, it's stereotypical old England, old London. Sure, I'm yeah. getting more of a taste of that this trip yeah, because my I mean, last you know, trip, you know, the first first trip anywhere, it's hard to get a yeah, sense. West of, London kind of is all white, you know, like, and the houses are all built like it's all Georgian houses. Sure, so yeah. they kind of have like amazing basements. Oh, okay, so, yeah. And I'm staying at a friend's in Islington. Oh, okay, right now, great, and that's yeah. nice. You get a whole different flavor. Totally. You know, Islington was like, a, apart from the city of London, Islington, the actual area was the first city outside of London. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it, 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 like, we're talking Victoria, like way back when the Tower of London. Sure. So the Romans had the city of the London. They built the wall around London. And then Islington oh, okay. was, was built and it was kind of like the people that couldn't get into London. Oh, okay, so yeah. So it was a stop-off point for cattle and stuff like sure, that. Sure, okay, yeah. That's how Islington was created. Oh, amazing. Because so, it had a river there uh-huh. called the Fleet, which went yeah. under, which is now go, went, went why they built Fleet Street. Oh, So they okay. built Fleet Street over yeah. the top of the River Fleet. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I had no idea Yeah, so that's kind of yeah. like the history of London. There you go. Now, do you, are you a bit of a history buff? <laughs> no, I love London. 
I love, London. You know, I take a real interest in where I live. Yeah. And where I was born. So for me, knowing those things, I've lived all over London as well. So kind of every area I live in, I kind of take the time to find out about that area. And I lived in Islington for a long time. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, now uh, what are the other main places that you lived in? I lived in Highgate. I lived in Hampstead. I lived yeah. in Soho. Uh-huh. Soho for 20 years. <laughs> was that uh, a touchy one year? That's the, the, the well, time-wise? Is that a... I kind of like, I lived in uh, in Soho at the beginning of late of the 80s. Oh, like, well, there you go. Before it was gay. Uh, oh, We okay. had one gay pub in, in Old Condor Street. Yeah. And the rest of it was all speakeasies and sex bars. Okay, now um, this would be like, for so some listeners, for a reference point for them, would be like, for instance, the Soft Cell, Nonstop Electric, ca- yes, Cabaret, 100%, milieu. Sex Dwarf, all of that stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah. That was kind of around the era. That's where it was based. You know? Okay, yeah. Because that's what the clubs were. You know, le- the drinking in London at that point, bars had to close at 11. Okay. There was nothing beyond that. And nightclubs closed at 3 a.m. Oh, wow. And now Only it's totally, in Soho. Yeah, right, yeah. And then you would have illegal drinking bars, which yeah. were the prostitute bars and the illegal basements. Sure. Speakeasies as uh-huh. such. So that was kind of like why the sex industry took off so much because it was all based in one area and they, you know, all the prostitutes and everyone, people flocked to that area. Sure. It's not like it is today where you can go out in Islington, you can go out in Shoreditch, you can go out all over London, Peckham. It, it yeah. was so Centralized condensed. And yeah. Yeah. Into yeah. Soho, into the West End. Wow. Okay. That's why then. Okay. Because I'd always heard about that area, you know, again, yeah. again from you know being from the states things yeah, like course. soft sell and uh, getting it in these uh, very delayed packages you know what yeah, I mean yeah of course, of course. And, and then also hearing about yeah but then we had the same you know oh yeah we heard from that Cindy Ecstasy from Mark Harmon <laughs> you know it wasn't until I, 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 I lived in New York for a year and a half uh-huh. that I actually met all of those people as myself so yeah it's kind of you know it kind of filtered both ways right no exactly and it's it's yeah. amazing too how especially when you're seeking something in life how these uh, create legends in your mind yeah of course and they create these pathways and then you're in these areas and you certainly mm. had that from a very young age as well yeah i mean you know a lot of soho uh, was like avenue a back in the 80s yeah when you had saved the robots and all those little oh yeah uh, yeah like clubs and you know and so you know and it was like really run down that's what soho was like it's now not like that anymore sure there was a great documentary about in roughly 78 or 77 mm. right punk and hip-hop all was happening at the same time and so they had chris stein yes. walking around and explaining yeah like it was amazing because there's some incredible luxury flat there and then he said this is the bodega where i used to buy my heroin like this yeah, is yeah, and, and yeah, they yeah. show pictures of because he, he was a massive photographer yeah of course uh all the his documentation i mean I, you know i i didn't go to new york for 20 years and i went back two years ago three years ago yeah and uh you know, the last time I was in New York, the meatpacking district had the most amazing trans girls, prostitutes on every corner. Prior to that, you had clubs like uh, like um, all the gay bars and the leather bars that were there. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. And, you know, it was a very niche, specific place. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people used to line the streets at night with bits of cardboard selling their belongings. Oh, wow. And you used to walk down there. It was like a night market. Okay. People would be selling old shoes, odd shoes. Sure. Anything they could sell, they were selling. Yeah. You know, and that was what the meatpacking district was like. And mm-hmm. it was, it was like amazing. And now it's a whole. Oh, now it's, it's, you know, it's awful. <laughs> it is actually awful. You know, it's kind of like soulless. You know, and I have friends that work there and live there and they're just like, 
it's shops all opened and it was like going to be the thriving bar of New York and it wasn't. It's no, just right. all empty. Yeah, right. It's kind of sad to see. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot of places also like restaurants and classic cafes shutting down yeah. they've been there forever and they're putting in these things that aren't actually drawing business and the rents are too high for anything else. Uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I was in so a house in New York and on the, on the corner where all the girls used to work is now Dior. Oh, yeah. They kind of tie it down. It's testament to the times. Yeah, right? it really yeah. is, yeah. I mean, not a lot's changed, really. Most of the people that are in those shops are probably prostitutes themselves or ex-prostitutes. <laughs> but, you know, like they, yeah. lack, they lack the luster and the class. <laughs> and the glamour. Of the, yeah, totally. They yeah. lack the glamour of the working sure. girls. Now, when you went to New York, you were DJing there. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I kind of like, I go over to work. So I, I go over. The first time I went back to go to New York, I went over to do an, a job for... Equinox, I do believe, I think it was. Uh-huh. No, I went over for Adidas. I went over to do a, a, a Stan Smith trip for Adidas. Okay. And then kind of just fell in love with New York again. That's wonderful. Completely fell in love with New York again. Did you have a bad feeling about New York uh, no, and not return know, there for any reason? I kind of just, you know, it's because I hadn't gone back in, since I was clean. I and, see. And I, you know, That's and a big like, thing. It is a major thing. And it's an awful lot of like, you know, my using was in New York. Your using in New York, did you find that it accelerated or it kind of uh, was compounded when you were in New York? Oh, it accelerated. I kind of just think, you know, I used to go over. By uh, request of Steve Rubell. Oh, yeah. I was I'd flown over every other week by Steve Rubell. To, was that the Palladium? To do the Palladium. Palladium okay. just opened. Okay. And this is like 81? Yeah. 80, this is okay. like a... The week, the week I flew over to go to the opening of Palladium. For those who are not familiar, some are and some aren't that listen. After Studio 54, this was the big new club. This was the, the super club. R- Rebel and Schrager were doing. The whole idea of it was like different artists opened different rooms. So you went in, it was a disused theatre outside and it had corrugated iron. It was really sure. run down on, it was on 7th from between 12th and f- uh, 13th, I uh, think. Oh, okay, yeah. You went out from into squalor, into the, suddenly it was all these white columns with fabric and then you went into this massive room but what they did really brilliantly was in the early part of the night they had studio 54 come down from the ceiling oh they did so they had, yes they had this square box that was painted like studio 54 like a disco sure in the middle of the dance floor yeah wow okay. so it, so when it was filling up instead of like there being a hundred people in a really empty club they were yes. all inside the disco oh and, and there was that a special right and so if you went early you got to participate in this in that special disco, yeah totally yeah, yeah and then they had the, the you know they had the they had all the different rooms like the kenny shaft room and they had all different de- designers doing different rooms sure uh, and they would commission them specifically yeah they commissioned to, them yeah, yeah. yeah. And mike, it would be massive, the mike todd right? room okay which yeah. was the room that everyone had to be seen in oh okay so steve used to fly me over they came to london and heard me play Within a, a month of, of them opening, I was going over every other week. Yeah, sure. And of course, the drugs were wall to wall. Of course. And you know, that, by that yeah. point, it was really, the ecstasy MDMA was really good. And we used to buy grand bottles of it in, yeah. in New York. Here, we used to like have to buy it in capsule form that had been di- diluted down. Oh, sure. But you know, in New York, we would get like these little brown bottle, grand bottles and do that five dots on our fist and <laughs> off we went. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, Unlike London, where you, of course we had dealers, but they, the dealers in New York were so different. They would turn really? up at your house with a suitcase, okay, like a briefcase, and open it up, and it was like a mini shop. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and we had this one guy called Choo Choo, and he used to come, and he had bags of everything yeah. in this briefcase. You opened it up, and it was like you can choose what you wanted. Right, It was right. amazing, like yeah. mushrooms. Everything. everything. Pharmacy, essentially. Oh, my God, it was and, insane. Uh, yeah, things you never heard of, too, yeah, I totally. imagine. What's and, that with the three letters uh, yeah, and the number? Yeah, yeah. you know that, and eight balls. <laughs> 
pills and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it was like, yeah. okay. And drugs are so much cheaper than they were in London. Oh, so of sure. course, you know, being a tourist, right. you, you want value for the pound, right? Yeah. In those days, you got two pounds, two dollars to the pound. That's right. Yeah. Now it's because uh, I'm still shocked every time I go to the ATM. It's about the same, it's, uh, right? It's close. It's like, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very near that. Thankfully, yeah. it's not two full pounds. Uh, two, sorry, two full dollars, but it's still a, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, like, it's, a, it's like a pound to the dollar, right? Almost. Instead of then, it was like, it's like yeah. 150. I think. Oh, it's like, like 150. $1. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. 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 Before it was like really bad. Like, yeah. It was like, so it must but, have been wonderful because you have the. the yeah, it of looks course. Like, so, you like know, for me, it was like, oh, I'm bargain shopping. You know, <laughs> I'm saying so, I would lose money not buying these drugs. You know, of course, that. And, and being an addict, a greedy addict, kind of was like, oh my God, well, you can't lose, can you? Yeah, you right. have to buy it because it's cheaper. <laughs> can't be wasteful. No. No. Yeah. 100%. Besides the, uh, the MDMA at the time, yeah. were Quaaludes still a big thing? Yeah. Quaaludes are just kind of gone. They were still like, in New York, you could get them, but you sure. So it's amazing that they flushed that out of the world. Like you yeah. can't, they're just gone. They did it with all different drugs. They did it with tamazepam, uh, like a. They done it with a rohypnol, oh, which was okay. classed as a date rape drug, and right. they changed the name. Oh, and okay. They, and you couldn't get it anymore. And suddenly, it was gone. No one oh, was wow. using it. Yeah, yeah. It's like wow. It's just like you know the power of authority. I- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, that's then, like apparently that's how good quaaludes were because uh, they uh, they were like can't have this anymore. Yeah, yeah no, I mean Lutz was just insane. Yeah, well, I know Rubel was quite a fan of those. Well, right? Rubel was quite a fan of a lot of things. <laughs> he wasn't a great fan of me towards the end. No, really. Well, so, no, he was, but I mean, you know, I mean, we I got away with murders at that club. We trashed the bathroom once upstairs. We smashed all the mirrors and <laughs> for and me and uh, Billy, this kid called Billy Beyond, and yeah, who lived in New York. He was a New York club kid, and we smashed up the toilets and the next day I was at the uh, the apartment and he rang the apartment and was like hey uh, I hear you, you had fun last night and I was like yeah yeah he was like oh I hear Billy smashed the toilet he, he's no longer welcome in the club and I was like actually it was me yeah. it wasn't Billy and they were like no 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 you're welcome Billy's not <laughs> and it was just like and we went that night and they would they would let us in but they wouldn't let Billy in oh yeah oh it was just like drama yeah. uh, on the door and it was like you know Howie Montag did uh-huh. the door. And he was like the biggest, one of the biggest club guys in, in New York at the time. Sure. And Howie was like, guys, I can't let him in. Yeah. And, we, and I, I remember like trying to black them out of them with George saying, well, if you don't let him in, boy, George isn't going to come in. And it was <laughs> just like, and in the end we got him in. Yeah, yeah sure, of course sure. we got him in. Seems like there was a lot of, in, in, the, in the club world then, a lot of high drama, high stakes drama. Oh, 100%. And it was kind of a, as addicting maybe as the drugs. But the clubs were so insanely brilliant. You had area, you had tunnel you had the saint yeah you had all these amazing venues a whole circuit of them there was all these garage i mean paradise garage man you know yeah insanely brilliant and you know that was what new york was incredible you had all these little after hour clubs like save the robots and you know you could go out and be out all night and enjoy it do you know what i'm saying sure and it doesn't feel that way anymore last time i was in new york i didn't go out once those were mega clubs, essentially. Yeah. And I never really experienced a mega club until going to GAY. Um, at heaven. Yeah, oh, exactly. That's not a mega club. That's well, to me, I just that's, mean, kind it, of a, it, that's kind of a shite club. <laughs> like, and I know to a tourist, this is well, what you know, it heaven, seems Well, you know, heaven was a super club. Heaven was... Okay. Heaven was the mecca, a gay mecca. It was yeah. it was everything that all of the clubs that we just talked about, yeah. it was, you know, were in England. It was like, when heaven opened, it was like the only gay venue and it was a super club and I was talking about this the other day you would go in there the first time I went to heaven they had neon lightning bolts across the ceiling sure. that would 
go across the ceilings you thought it was like thunder lightning and yeah. mirror boards with planets around them and wow. real discotheque stuff and you know they had people like Eartha Kitt Divine yeah sure all of the greats played there and you yeah. and, you know it was like wow and it was men only oh it was uh, honestly, okay. yes it was men only and the women were only allowed in on a Wednesday oh, okay. and the rest of the time it was men only and it was like you know it was insane it was like a real place of freedom. Now, that's, and it's not that anymore. The, the oh, venue's okay. there. It's just been listed. It got listed yesterday as a place of gay history, oh, which is okay. amazing that they've done it. But the people that own it as a GUI have kind of let it just rot. Really? Okay. Yeah, and it kind of, someone needs to take it off them and restore it back to what it should be. The thing with GAY is it's a great, you know, it does it serves a great purpose, don't get me wrong, if you're 15 and 16 and coming out. Yeah. And it's your first place of point of call. Yeah. But, you know, beyond that, it's not very culturally great. Oh, okay, you know, sure. It does not really do much for gay culture. Okay. What it does do is puts on RuPaul's Drag Race artists every weekend, which you can kind of see, like, in your local fish and chip shops these days. Oh, okay. Do you get what I mean? Sure, it's like I kind of everywhere. Saying. Yeah. And, they, and that's what they do. And, and that's you know, what I first experienced because I was uh, visiting my, uh, my friend Trixie yeah. there. And so but for me, it was quite a shock to be in a place that was so big because I'm from Massachusetts. Yeah. And a long uh, gone are the days of like the proper Lansdowne Street yeah. Yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. there. You know, like they have a, now a house of blues there. But I mean, even in the waning days of it, there was Avalon, which kind of approximated it, but still very small. Everything's yeah. very small. So to walk in there and be like, holy shit, thousands of people. And this yeah. is like open till all hours. I, I could, yeah. so it was a shock, but I can see what you're saying. I having mean, listen, now the rest. that, compared to the rest of the clubs in London that's like that's like a, the toilet at some clubs now. okay amazing we have yeah. print works which holds 20,000 people really wow we have all these super clubs opening which you know in different areas of London because as I say you know it's different different boroughs allow you to do different things sure and if anyone's listening to that breathing that's my dog yeah it's not it's not that's either not of us, us. yeah that's Taylor <laughs> being content yeah that's not the after effects of the cold that i reported on the show recently <laughs> or my uh, stomach uh, worries but, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, but also with that uh, which is fascinating i'm gonna have to check out those places because mm. i've always been a, a student of like the history of uh queer culture and a club culture especially uh, you know there's just been a sort of an absence of that like i live in la yeah. and, you know there's lovely precinct is wonderful and the places like that but the the sheer enormity and also the grandeur of a thing like palladium etc yeah, is not yeah. something i've ever experienced in person i mean that you know you when you walked in there you just, literally when you walked in somewhere like the palladium or even area area they changed the theme each month wow so they re reinvented the nightclub amazing every month. that's amazing so you would yeah. go in and there was uh, you'd walk through a corridor and it was like all shop windows oh, okay. and in each shop window there was a different thing going on with oh, actors wow. okay yeah so they had Alice in Wonderland once and they had a guy sitting on a mushroom dressed as uh, in this in this like a uh, uh, cat costume and like you know you had a butterfly and it was insane it was absolutely yeah. insane and the, the caterpillar all, all of them tripping out and they had an Elvis theme one street their trailer trash one oh, okay. where they had a garage built in on the mill like built in the middle of the dance floor with petrol wow. pumps incredible and caravans yeah it like, was, it was uh, insane. performance art mixed with yes, uh, the best was, music I mean it was absolutely insane yeah you just you know they would build VIP they had one month called discotheque uh-huh. and it was they built like a studio 54 vibe club inside yeah and they had a vip room oh okay and they but they wouldn't let you in the vip room <laughs> which would make it even yeah, more exciting yeah and everybody wanted to get into the VIP, fake vip exactly, room right. of a family month club it's a it conceptual was, thing that then adds insane. the layers of excitement and uh, yeah and i mean you would go there and you would think how can they afford to do this
When did you first start DJing? Because it was quite young. So right? I started DJing, first of all, when I was 16. Amazing. And I DJ, I went in at the deep end. I went in, there's a, a theatre in London called the Lyceum where uh, the Lion King has been on for like the last 30 sure. years. Steve Strange, who was like a big club person in those mm. days, he the opened Blitz and the Blitz Ryden. and all of that. They opened him and his partner, Rusty Egan, and another guy decided a new Saturday night there called The Playground. Mm -hmm. And it basically, it was like the biggest club in London. And I was 16 and I was so precocious and mouthy. I was like, I went to them. I was like, well, you're opening a new club. Well, I'm opening a club on the same night. <laughs> like, just like this, you know, this like the audacity of it. And, yeah, I, and yeah. they were like, well, why don't you come and work for us? Oh. And I was like, okay. And I managed to talk myself into doing a door job. Yeah, I mean, I... I I sat on the door doing absolutely nothing, <laughs> letting people in for nothing, gave away like 200 tickets a week to get in. Yeah. And I was only meant to be doing the guest list. It was like, you know. <laughs> but it worked somehow. Well, yeah, it did. Because um, basically I, I, I would slag off the music every week and say, oh my God, everybody's leaving because of the music, which they weren't. Sure. You know, I just wanted something to moan about. Yeah. And they basically said, one week he said to me, if you think you can do better, you do it. Okay. And then the next yeah. week I turn up with four records. Which four records? Uh, I can remember to this day. It was Natalie, uh, Natalie Cole, yeah. Pink Cadillac. Yeah. It was Divine, uh, uh, Divine, Take It Like a Man. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, it was, uh, no, Shake It Up, it was by Divine. Oh, yeah, love Shake that. Shake yeah. Up. The Bobby O and, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I took uh, an ABC track at the time, which they were really big. They just reinvented themselves. And was it uh, The Look of Love or the... Yeah, no, it was one of those. It was, it was later than oh, that. Oh, the Beauty like, Stab stuff? Yeah, or, yeah you know, okay. when they did all that, like, you know, they they, they thought they were delight. <laughs> oh, know, yeah, I know, they, what, you're, yeah, I know yeah, what you're talking about. They yeah. kind of went all delight on us. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they got like these two fake kids in and like some yeah. Japanese guy and they, they kind of reinvented themselves. Yeah, one of their tracks. And I can't remember what the other track was. I, I think it might have been Who's Zooming Who oh, by Aretha. Yeah, I think, in yeah. fact, it was because I was obsessed by that track. Yeah, sure. And um, I played them and I played the B-side <laughs> and I, that was kind of it. And then within two weeks of that, my friend Stephen Linard, who was a fashion designer at the time, was like, said, well, will you come and do this club with me on a Tuesday night, which was at the, the, the club called the Wag Club uh -huh. in, in Wardour Street. And we called it Total Fashion Victim. And, you know, we did that on Tuesday nights and we, we kind of got all the younger St. Martin's School of Fashion kids in and we kind of just like, got all our mates to come to this club and we yeah. played what we wanted to play. Yeah. And kind of like it was at the right time of change because yeah. clubs weren't really playing that kind of music at that point. What, what were they playing? They were playing more jazz funk and they'd kind of moved on from new romanticism. You know, there was nowhere really playing house music. Uh -huh. House music was, you know, the transcendent of disco. Yeah. So, you know. Because the disco kind of, was a dirty word. Yeah, and everyone so. kind of thought it was, they're too cool for that. Yeah. So we kind of started, we went in and started playing all the Chaka Khan remixes. Yeah, everything you and, lived for. Yeah, But totally. the playing it on the floor. Totally. And, you know, it was like that feel-good feeling. And people loved it. And suddenly that's why then when... War Andy came to London. Andy came to the club, mm -hmm. and and with all of that lot, and that's where I kind of met them, and that's how the Steve Rebell thing came off. I see because yeah. he had heard <coughs> they'd gone back to New York and said, "Oh, we were at this guy," and then of course Steve wanted that, you know, London in New York. Yeah, yeah, like he they won. all did. Right, you know, the early eighties, it was like that whole "We want London in New York." Sure, vibe. because the stuff coming out of London was shaping the culture totally, hundred totally. percent, and the kind of people buy into that and want you. So that's kind of like you know, 
I'd sold myself to them. Do you know yeah, what I mean? sure. And it's amazing too that, you know, you say you were just talking a load of rubbish, but really what you did is you pushed yourself through the door of opportunity oh, by, 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 you know, blagging or whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. But that's an important thing, I think, I, I like to put across the listeners too, that a lot of times it takes that, even if you're sh- suffering from self-esteem issues, whatever, you grab onto this thing and you don't know what you're doing. You but- know, what it is, is people think that, you know, he's, oh, he's got a really bad ego. He's, he's ego. Bro. It's not ego. For me, you know, my ego comes from fear. My fear, uh, fear of being left behind, not being noticed, fear of, yeah. you know, it's all fear-based. And, and, and kind of like, you know, the, the more loud I was, the more scared I was. So I would push myself because I want, I thought, okay, I'm going to get lost here. You know, all my friends have gone off to be pop stars. And some of them, just for reference points for people like, like, like George. Boy, George. And, and, and yeah, Steve Strange. Steve Strange, yeah. And I mean, the majority of my friends were either fashion designers. You know, they paved the way for what's going on now. Sure, you know, yeah. So I kind of was like, okay, well, I never ever really wanted to be a DJ. I never really knew what I wanted to be. I knew that I loved nightclubbing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just thought, right, well, I'm doing this. I'm going to make money from it. Yeah. So I kind of just pushed myself into these yeah. jobs. Yeah, exactly. And taught yourself how to do it along the way. Yeah, well, I was kind of t- telling everyone else how to do it along the yeah. way as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. And, I, and the, the beauty of it was, was the fact that I did something that I really was having fun doing and I could include my friends in it. I'm sure you love to put on like get togethers or dinner parties yeah. and stuff too, because you do love the interaction, but you also want a way in shaping it. And because it's part of the way to express love to others. Yeah. And 100%. I, Another interview, I, I heard you talk about the main uh, skill that you feel that you have with DJing, uh, and I relate to this, is the reading of the room. It's reading the energy of others. Oh, 100%. It's not about a playlist and no, prepping no, no, a, no. a it's thing. Not, you know, people go, oh, do you prepare for your set? And I'm like, why would I prepare? I don't know who's going to be there. Right. Do you get what I mean? It's <laughs> or like, how one I, track is feeling in the, no, in the room exactly. to the, the I, next... It's all about the energy of that room. And the art of DJing isn't a prepare, the preparation or, or the sitting at home going through your music and thinking, okay, I'm going to play this tonight, I'm going to play that in this order. There are no orders. You don't know who's on the dance floor. You don't know what the energy is. You don't, you read it as soon as you walk in the room, you feel it. Yeah. You know, I can spend all night. Still, after all these years of DJing, I will get so much anxiety about on the way to a gig. Sure. Which is a great thing. Because if I didn't have that, I'd be complacent and that would be wrong. Yeah. So I, I get this like, oh, they're going to all hate me. You know, it's real addict behavior thinking. But, you know, when I walk in the room, I know straight away what I need to do. Yeah, right. And, you and lock was, into the zone. Totally. And I, and I read the dance floor. And, and if I, uh, there's certain, I read a floor and if they're not, they're not dancing as much as I want them to, I'll take them to a different level. It's not about playing one genre. It's not playing about playing one, you know, one vibe. For me, I, I, I read that floor and I, I, and I read it well. And that's what my, a lifetime has taught me what to do. Yeah, exactly. And you sometimes know. people get this thing where they don't want to play a quote cheesy track oh, or something. Get out of here. And it's like, listen, if it's stodgy on the floor and, and you can drop the gap band, you drop the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it does, like there's no. Know, at the end of the day, it, you know, I play in so many different levels of parties so you know I'll do, if it's a fashion thing i know what they want to hear if yeah. i work for like for dollar I, I dj for donatella now uh i'm resident for like for Versace. yeah and so i know what she wants i know yeah. what our guests want yeah exactly and so i take i give them what they want that's my job yeah and it's I'm the a gift. DJ. you know that's the thing i'm that's, a dj yeah. it doesn't make me feel any less than when i'm playing at a tech house party or i'm playing for glitterbox and ibiza you know i in the, whatever i where i am at the moment i'm living in that moment yes right that doesn't make me cheesy no that that's makes, the that, thing people get hung up on that, that stuff te- you know you know and someone was asking me the other day they were they were rehearsing some dj stuff and they said oh is this track cheesy i said this is a donna summer track how can Donna Summer ever be cheesy? Ever, exactly. 
if you're in the right place in the right time and someone drops the Venga Boys, it's fun. Do you of know what I mean? It like is. it's it's all of about fun. Is, you know, yeah. the, you know the only cool DJs that think it's like that are only cool inside their own fucking pocket. You know? Yeah, exactly. Get out of here! It's just like sorry. And it's just the same thing. Like I always feel that people talk about guilty pleasures. There are no guilty pleasures with art. No, it, if you get something from it, if it resonates with you, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, that's why I've been going so long and and i'm still so doing so well in my life and my career because the fact that it's that's what i do for a living yeah i don't play music you know anyone can play music sure yeah i, I dj there's yeah, a there is a difference i'm not a jukebox you yeah, can't exactly. tell me what to play and choose it in your own order for me i read a crowd and i take you on that journey yeah that's what that's what my job's about and providing joy in a, always yeah that's what always, it's about always always you know, yeah i you know i don't you know I haven't had a gig where I've left and thought, oh my God, that was awful for a very long time. Yeah, sure. Which is a blessing. It is. I'll probably DJ the next few gigs. <laughs> but you know, it's a blessing. It's yeah, a real blessing. certainly. So when you started DJing and stuff, so you were already using drugs at the time. Uh, I kind of was just dabbling in drugs at the time. I wasn't really a drug addict. I didn't really, you know, I did start smoking until I was 21, but I, I kind of started using alcohol and then I would use the odd line here and there to kind of like counteract the alcohol. And you discovered that magic combination via Freddie Mercury, correct? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> so I was outside heaven and that night I went back, I went into heaven, the first night I went into heaven and, it was with, and I met Freddie and his gang. Yeah. Like, and there's like four others of them and they, they, after the club, they were like, oh, we're going to go to a party. Do you want to come? And I went with them to the party. Yeah. And then, yes, I was offered, I got, had my first line of coke <laughs> within that party <laughs> with them. And kind of like, I'd been introduced to drugs prior to that, but yeah. like not in the same way. And I kind of hated it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I hated it. I was like, oh no, it made me feel really wiry. I wasn't in control of like, in the sense of I couldn't go to sleep when I wanted to. Oh, sure. It was kind of like a really horrible, paranoid feeling. Yeah, yeah. You know, and of course, you know, that was enough to make me want it, well, it again. Again, yeah. It wasn't like an instant thing. I didn't suddenly start selling selling the furniture straight away. Do you know what I mean? It was <laughs> yeah, a gradual yeah. thing. And right. It's around and like suddenly it's not as jarring yeah, as it was the I first time. Just, and... was like, oh, I'm not doing that again. And then, of course, you know, the more I drank, the more it would lead to those situations. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, so drink was the original thing. Drink that was really... the original thing. Drink was the gateway. W what was your drinking habits at the time? Like, how did it progress? I, was, I from... would work. I was. I would work in the King's Road, and I worked at a place called the Great Gear Market, which was kind of like the modern day Facebook. You know, it was like <laughs> the social place that everybody went on a Saturday. Yeah, dressed up. All the stores in there were like, or or like you know the fashion happening place that people went to, and I work in there, and then everybody from there would go to a pub on the corner in King's Road called the Chelsea Potter and drink in there. So we would go for a drink after work. Yeah. And of course, a drink after work led to another drink somewhere else. Yeah, sure. And that's how it spiraled. And I kind of was always the one that always got drunk. Okay, yeah. Always got drunk. Yeah. I uh, never wanted to go home. When I did go home, it's kind of like, you know, 
just by proxy. Never. Sure, like n- never intentionally like, oh, well, that's oh, it I'm for me. I'm nah, yeah, yeah. Never. Yeah, it's just you because know, I, there was no other option open no, at that point. I never had no stop button even then. But now, I'm imagining that home was not a terrific place. Well, home was all right. Home wasn't okay. that bad. But what I, the, the thing with home was, you know, my mum my and dad brought, brought us up to the best of their ability. We had a beautiful house in Battersea. I had two brothers. One was always in trouble with the police. The younger brother, Dean, was just a, just a South London kid, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mum was amazing. My mum worked every hour on the planet to, to make sure we worked, we, we had what we wanted. Sure, okay. So it was my dad. But my dad had demons. My dad drank at weekends, and when he drank, he became violent towards my mum. Mm-hmm. And there were so many different circumstances, like so many different... Uh, tumultuous yeah, um, events like yeah. that were awful from that and kind of like you know made growing up at, at that point and that time really really hard sure and also my, being gay yeah i don't think that was really ever an issue okay you know, my dad didn't really ever acknowledge it okay my dad was like didn't talk about it didn't uh-huh. even talk about it you know i know i was very lucky i didn't have to come out Oh, you didn't? No, I never came out. They knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they knew. They knew. I was leaving the house in 13 in drag. Yeah, but, yeah, they yeah, kind they, of they, figured it out for themselves. <laughs> they kind of like, you know, my dad really didn't have a problem with that. But of course, I thought, oh, I always thought he had a problem with it. But what he had a problem was with me drinking and taking drugs. That was his problem. Okay, yeah. He didn't have a problem with me being gay. Yeah. But of course, I used to turn it, oh, he's got a problem with me being gay. I didn't think I had a problem with drink or drugs. My dad could see it in me because that's why, you know, he... And he had a problem and he, he could see it. Yeah, Of course, it takes one to know one, doesn't it? Yeah. And then especially later on, you know, my dad really turned against me when, I, when my addiction completely took over because I become everything that my dad loathed. I was like a waste of space. Like, you know, I, I let everybody down. I took such advantage of people. I didn't give a shit. Okay. I didn't care about anyone. I didn't care about myself. Yeah. So I wasn't going to care about anyone else. Sure. And now what would that look like when you say you took advantage of people? This was later on. This is... Later on, yeah. I mean, you know, so the partying kind of like, it was no longer partying and it'd become a, like a lifestyle choice. Yeah, a grim sort yeah, of... Uh, and, you know, and I'd like, I'd make my, you know, I'd have, I'd have places like flats and lose them and then record deals and lose them. And, you know, I, my career kind of, I stopped traveling and, because I couldn't get what I wanted at other ends, and yeah, that becomes the main thing. I was not, on the spiral, uh, and it was spiraling yeah. downwards out of control. And what uh, what year roughly would that be so, that starts? Uh, so, kind of my addiction took control of me. Really, I'd say by mid eighties. Okay, mid eighties. Yeah. So this is at post the Palladium and all yeah, that stuff. Post, this yeah. is this is all after this. Like limelight had opened here. Yeah, and kind of like you know the clubbing scene had changed, and suddenly we had this ecstasy had taken over and kind of cocaine really suddenly became my drug of choice oh okay and i would go out for three or four days and not come back uh-huh. i'd let everybody down i'd let myself down yeah and um, then the shame it, of that yeah of builds course. and builds and then of course you know you, you if you approach me about oh you've got a problem i'm gonna tell you you know i'm gonna run yeah and i'm you know and that's the way it was and i kind of just was never ever responsible for any of the damage that I caused. It was always someone else. Sure. So, you know, and then my grandmother died and left me at left my mum and dad at house. My mum and dad moved into my grandmother's house and I moved in back into the family home in uh-huh. Bansy. Yeah. And within a month, I'd turn it into a crack den. Yeah. I'd move to other dealers in the house. Mm-hmm. I had a Coke dealer in one room and I had a K dealer in the other. <laughs> and it was like, you know. So basically between the bathroom, uh, you yeah, had totally. everything sorted. And, you know, that yeah. was it. It was kind of insane and, 
and then they'd had enough. And yeah. They wanted me out. Yeah. Is this when the, the homelessness started? No, 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 no. That, that came like literally long after that. I mean, I'd had bouts of it where I would have flats and lose them. So I had a deal in 95 for a record deal and I bought a house uh, in the middle of central London. It was mm-hmm. on Queen's Square, it was called. It was called The Cottage on Queen's Square. Yeah. Could have got gayer if you tried. And um, <laughs> right by Russell Square. And in those days, Russell Square was like the main cruising area. Oh, okay, yeah. And um, it was right there. And so I bought that house and within a, within a year, 18 months, I had not been paying the mortgage. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. All the various... All spiraled out of control. And they wanted the house back. So I left with just a mirror and my clothes. Yeah. And, Left everything because you know that's the way I was. I thought oh, I don't need that. I'll get it again. Oh, okay, yeah. So all like, your records, every oh, they were already they were in Battersea. But I by see. this point, I left with one record bag. You know, the record bags always went with me. Yeah, and I kind of just like didn't even really care about that. Mm-hmm. What I cared about, yeah, that was a way and means for me to get more. Okay, sure. And, I, and do you, you know, do you remember when that shifted to the focus or the your energy being on doing what you love to do, and then drugs being the central oh, focus? Yeah. I, I kind of think. Uh, there was a club called Trade, mm-hmm. which was on Sunday mornings, which was revolutionary to London. It was it was right where real co- queer culture took over. Sure, it was a gay after hours. It went from f- uh, three in the morning until two in the afternoon, and it was like you know the mecca. Yeah, and I I, I was working there, and that kind of that's where it really kind of like it took a hold of me because my success had come. Yeah, and I had this major success. I had loads of money. I was riding away. And, you know, as an addict, I, I can't deal with success. You know, oh, okay. I will lose on success. Because if you tell yeah, me you love me, uh-huh. I will run away. If you tell me you hate me, I'll take you on holiday. Yeah, you know, sure. It's kind of that ethics. and The, the, the inability getting, to accept yeah. uh, positivity because of a self-worth. I struggle um, with intimacy. I struggle with praise. I struggle, struggle with self-worth. Sure. You know, and I always... You know, even to this day, sometimes I'll be sitting on a plane flying to a gig in first class thinking I'm going to get off at the other end and they're all going to, I'm going to get found out. The imposter syndrome. Yeah, they're all going to hate me. Yeah, yeah, the and, whole you know, cycle it goes 100%, through. 100%. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I have a tool, I have, I've learned tools to deal with that, thank right. God. And, because one thing I like to talk about with people is that sometimes when we have these anxiety issues, whatever they might be, we can also find uh, incredible shame oh, over those. And, and sometimes I think when I have like a low couple days, I call them like a mental head cold, you know? Yeah. I just go, okay, this is what's on today. Yeah. I have that most days. I can have that for like 20 minutes in the morning and then I will shake it off and just think, what are you doing? Well, yeah. And I, and they get I, less and less. Like, yeah, you know, but I tell you yeah. when it really comes is when I take time out from work. I like have a weekend off through choice. I'd say because you know I turn down jobs. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, and I won't work for three or four days because I'd rather do the bigger things than working in little club. I don't do clubs anymore. Sure, I do parties as so as such. And for me, that's when it kind of hits me. I think, oh my god, my career's over. They're no one wants me. me. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's it. It's done. <laughs> do you get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like you know, this weekend I had it like yesterday, and this weekend I'm doing. I'm going to Baftas. I'm DJing at the Baftas. I'm doing British Vogue. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't. None of that comes into play. Of course. I, you know, what comes into place? You're not working today. No one's called you, and you know you're lazy. Oh my god. Every it's, negative. It's all over. You're uh, old. No one cares. And like, and you know, how long do you think this could go on for? All that kind of 
it crazy because i don't know i don't know how to relax right because I also the, the work itself is an addiction as 100%, well yeah. right and i have, i struggle with pushing myself too far you know doing too much booking too much and all that stuff it's a similar yeah, yeah. I, I, I do exactly the same i'll, I'll book six meetings in on the same day <laughs> at the same time lunches i'll be at lunch and someone will text me saying hey i'm sitting in the restaurant where are you and i'm like oh my god yeah and then like i have to ring them like then start what comes out is the old behaviors. I'll ring them and say, I'm so sorry, my dog's at the vet. The lying, and I start to lie. Yeah, yeah. And that's old behavior for me, lying, because that's what I did all the time. Sure. Well, it's a coping mechanism when yeah. you have maladaptive of it is. ways it goes of. Straight back to that point. Did you ever get a uh, screen for ADHD? Oh, yeah, I've got ADHD. Yeah, okay. I have yeah. a worse version. I've got gay DHD. <laughs> It's, it's kind of like it's, get, very, it's fab though yeah you know that it's kind of got a little bit of glitter thrown in. yeah but you know it's kind of like my adhd is it it some days it's really bad some days yeah you know like i, I had a meeting on uh last friday with my new assistant and my agent and a few other people were all in the room and uh i'd taken them all in gifts like shoes from adidas uh-huh. and uh we were talking about something and I start rummaging through the boxes and getting the shoes out and then like, yeah. look at this. And yeah. like literally no conversation. There was no, they had to send me out the room. I had a meeting this on Tuesday morning uh, and it was a really important meeting and I spent most of it on my phone on Instagram flicking through and like, like, and they were like, are you reading a book? And I was like, no, I'm sorry, sorry. And put the phone down and two seconds later. It's I'm back, like, it's back. Else. Yeah. How many times have you closed Instagram going, that's it, enough of that, and open it right back oh, up? Oh, straight away. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, drugs a lot of times can be uh, self-medication. You know, I did a share the other night at So House, and they showed my new film that I've done with Mixmag called Fat Tony, the most famous DJ you've never heard of. It. It's about the rise, fall and rise of Fat Tony. Yeah. And we showed that, and it's coming out in a month's time. Oh, great. We showed it, and we did a Q&A afterwards. And, you know, people were asking me questions, and I was giving them, like, uh, ranting on about other things because my ADHD had taken control of the evening. Yeah, sure. Do you get what I mean? I and, do, yeah, absolutely. And it was like I was completely forgetting what they'd actually asked me. Right. It can be a blessing and a curse. It all just depends eventually how you can look at it, right, mm-hmm. and manage it. Because there are so many great things, because there are extra abilities oh, 100% that you have from it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But then, like, day-to-day stuff can be a bit challenging. Yeah, well, I've got a system for the day-to-day stuff. Right, so. right, right. And I've I, got I, a partner. He does most of the day-to-day <laughs> stuff. You know, it's, it's like, you know, tax. Don't ask me about what, what you know. Like, tomorrow's the, the tax day in England. Oh, sure. Yeah, the 31st. Uh-huh. And, I, you know, of course, I, I had left it all. And I, and I was like... Saying to David, I need to do my tax. And David's like, doing my tax. And he's like, asking me questions. And I'm like, don't include me in this. I don't want to. I can't be around. I'm party to this. And then this morning, they they, they sent me the, I got my bill of how much it was. And I went mental. I can't believe it. I was like blaming David for doing, sending my tax. (laughs) Why did you send them that? Like, because you have to, it's the law. And they're helping. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you know, oh, no, they're not helping. No one's helping. Yeah, right. It's, I'm not helping. Right. And then saying? there's the terror and shame of that, too. Oh, totally. And it's like, you know, I'm really blessed I'm in a position to have the money to pay that. And I'm it, earning yeah. that money. And then I'm sitting here thinking, right, this year I'm not going to do any work and then I don't have to pay tax. <laughs> <laughs> right. that, that really went through my head. I yeah. sat there and I thought, okay, I'm just going to turn down so many big jobs this year yeah. just so I don't have to give them that exactly, money. Exactly, because screw them. But hang I, on, yeah. that's just a very small percentage of what you've earned, you yeah. knob. Yeah, but right. like, my it, head will just justify that. Yeah, but I will it, justify it. Sure, punishing yourself in order 100%, to... 100%, that's yeah. it. 
No longer yeah. working. I'm going to retire. Going to live off the state to get some of my tax money back. <laughs> I can knuckle down. This will be What's fine. What's that about? Yeah. You know, bearing in mind, though, I didn't pay tax until I was like until like eight, nine years ago, <laughs> ever. <laughs> right. In my life, even sure. like when I'm big record deals and all that stuff. You know, amazing. Just avoided paying tax on everything, and then yeah. you know, became a drunk a junkie. Junkies don't pay tax. Right. Right. You know. And then kind of getting clean and and having that over my head. I used to wake up in the middle of the night crying, thinking, I'm going to prison because I've never paid tax. The terror, and you have this, it's almost a thing that's almost, yeah. that's an addiction and, too. You can have I this went, terror thing and you build this big mountain out of a mohole. Oh, I used to tell people, you know, the analogy of, I'd get a brown envelope through the door and I wouldn't look at it and I'd put it on the side and I would lay awake at 3 a.m. thinking, oh my God, I'm going to prison. That's it. I'm going to get locked up for never paying tax. And that would go in an hour later, that would be... To me, go to me committing suicide. Oh. Okay, why don't you just kill yourself? Uh-huh. Blah, blah, blah. And that's where it would go. And, and and it wasn't even like a literal thing. It would, I would be at that point where I would convince myself I'd be better off dead, all because of a brown envelope. And then I'd get up in the morning and the envelope's not even addressed to me. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? I, absolutely. That's yeah. where it goes. And it goes like that. And it doesn't do that today because I I, I front these demons. I front them. Yeah. I don't have that problem. Confronting them and, 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 totally. and looking at the scary thing or totally. like, I it's like being see, terrified of going to the doctor, to, right? 100% making up your own diagnosis. It can be the worst thing in the world. Like I, I told you about my stomach thing. And of yeah. course I think, oh my God, maybe it's cancer. Oh, but I know always cancer. Exactly. I was saying, yeah. if you Google it, forget <laughs> it. You have cancer if you Google. Yeah, always. You but, know that. But then I know now, like I know to go, okay, let's, like whatever the clinic thing is here, I'll figure it out and I'll go. Yeah. And I just tell them, give me every test there is under the sun. Yeah, and and then, then walk out there thinking, oh God, thank God for that. Yeah. And, with my day. Exactly. Instead of uh, worrying about it and for, for ages. Planning it's all, it's all how we cope, uh, uh, figure out these mechanisms, right? Uh, as we go along. So you had kind of, I guess, a good period with drugs, if you will. Oh yeah. I had a party time. Yeah. I yeah. had a really good time. Listen. I didn't have 28 years of hell. <laughs> no, wait. You know, what I did have was, I, I, you know, I had a good 20 years of fun. Sure. And then the last eight years were hell. Okay, you yeah. Know, I had eight years of surviving. I didn't, it was no longer fun. It, right. was, it was a way of life. And, you know, uh, the fun, there was never any fun time. Yeah. Unless I was destroying someone else's life instead of my own because I, my life was so shit. Yeah, because, I used to say to people all the time, you know, my life's shit, but it's my shit. Right. Really You're going to go ownership it. of the the, yeah. the the damage and the chaos can be uh-uh. its own uh, enveloping thing. It's yeah. a structure. It's a it's a way to make 100%. sense of life. I yeah. used to call it. I used to call it chemical scaffolding. <laughs> now, what were the uh, what were the ingredients at the time when it, it sort of took a turn? There was cocaine. Oh, but- there was cocaine and rohypnol, tamazepam, diazepam, cumbersome amounts of Jack Daniels. Oh. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the majority of it was co- cocaine, and then the last eighteen months to, to almost two years was crystal meth. Wow. Okay. I had a guy that was I met who was the one. They always the one. Uh, you know? and the whole was, package. This, this is the one. The one and, uh, and he would bring over Tina in his, in his, with him from New York, and he was over every other weekend, and then that was kind of it. That was kind of, and within that year, the last year, I had pulled all my teeth out psychotically. Um, I kind of come up here, Taylor. Go on, Taylor, get up. Yeah. I help you. Yeah, go on. Oh. Go on. You can I'm be my going. recording assistant, yeah, Taylor. She is. Lovely. She's good. She's everybody's assistant. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, the crystal method got hold of me. Yeah, like no other drug had, and and I had meth mouth where my mouth was on fire and yeah. septic, and 
you know, uh, and you were you were a nail biter, right? Yeah, like I, pulled, a, I pulled all my teeth out. Yeah, now let's get into that for a minute because yeah. Uh, yeah, because that's kind of an amazing shock. Well, I thing. never, you know, I, I remember going to have an assessment for treatment for rehab. I had to go and see psychiatrists, and I remember sitting in the psychiatrist's office with my partner at the time, and the psychiatrist said, "Have you ever self harmed?" And I was like, "No." Never. Yeah. Why would I self-harm? And my partner looked at me and said, you pulled all your teeth out. And I was like, yeah, but that's not self-harming. Right. That's like the kind of the insanity that yeah, I had. Yeah, right. You don't see it I looked at him for... like, how dare you tell me I've self-harmed? That's the Nile in, in, in... Totally, 100%. Uh, yeah. You know, I would sit rocking backwards and forwards psychotically uh, on my own, digging at my gums, digging yeah, at them. Yeah, and, and pulling and wiggling at the teeth. And, and because I smoked so much and I drank so much Jan Daniels and Coke and, you know, my gums had receded so oh, far. Yeah. And then when they got septic from the, from, the, from the meth and I got so many infections in my mouth and I would sit and think that there were animals living in my mouth. Wow. And I would dig at my gums and I would get sticks and pliers and screwdrivers. And even when I think about it, I can feel it. Yeah, I imagine it's a still vivid, uh, totally, visceral yeah. memory. I would pull up my teeth. And, and I'm uh, sure that, uh, again, the terror of going to a dentist Oh, no, I never went to a dentist. So, it wasn't until I got clean that I actually got to the point where I just thought, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And then I went and got my teeth. To, uh, all, I had to have everything taken out of my mouth. And yeah. The horror of that. They were like, oh, you can't have anything put in your mouth for like eight months not bearing in mind i'd walked around it like it for a year and a half yeah which like, how did you do that but like how did you eat how did you I, hand, I just coped so you were basically like living in a veil of shame on, yeah and i never uh, really ate anyway i kind of was like you know people were like oh how did you eat i was like i didn't really eat well, also being a heavy boozer too like there's a weird totally. thing where your system is just getting the sugar from that and it totally. doesn't yeah yeah and everything was rotting everything yeah rotting, rotting right yeah. right and i kind of just like you know i uh just coped, you know, like I did with all addiction. And, you know, I learned coping mechanisms. Right. And, and it's amazing when you think of like how much you actually survived and went through. Mm. You know, you can look at it and be like, I can't believe I did that. But you actually still made it through the other end. Oh, which totally. Is a I remarkable... mean, you know, I never drank water. I, and yeah. I never drank water yeah. in like, I'd say, five years. <laughs> it was just you'd wake up and start well, with Well, I the used jack, to like, or... say to people, like, oh, well, there's water in Jack Daniels it's made with distilled spring water. Right, how do you think they make it? Yeah, Yeah, it's like, that's fine, that's all I needed. I'm cutting out a step here, actually, thank you. And I just don't need, I never drank water. Yeah. I was completely dehydrated and emaciated. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of think my body kind of just got off on the sugar and the alcohol and sugar and everything else. Sure. Yeah, and and it's strange how uh, strong the body can be and it can uh, adapt to the worst kind of substances. And I'm curious, though, um, with that level of, chemical consumption how did that affect your sex life were you able to have oh, sex oh god you want to sex, sex was never a problem right sex okay. has never been a problem it, 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 i say sex has never been a problem sex has been the biggest problem okay because you know from a young age of nine i i, I was sexualized i was abused at the age of nine. Oh, i see and yeah. i wasn't abused in the sense of oh my god my life's over i was abused as like oh my god my life's just died and it was like i use sex uh, to get what I wanted. I used sex to use men. I, used, I, I got money for it. I got everything I wanted from sex. I could sure. control people. Okay, right. Uh, and which is powerful when you're it's very maybe powerful. coming from a, a place of not uh, feeling like accepted. Totally, 100%. And, yeah, yeah. 100%. And suddenly, you know, it opened this whole world and sex changed the way I felt. Yeah. And then drink and drugs kind of enhanced that feeling. 
So, you know, all the way through life, I was always had the sex addiction going on. Sure. But there was always masked by drugs or masked by alcohol. Sure. There, you know, I always talk about it like by saying to people, I, there was this great big bonfire, but I would light loads of little fires around it so you, you couldn't see the main fire. <laughs> right, right. So you'd be more interested in putting this fire out than that one. Right, because the and big one. And that one in the middle became the norm. And yeah. You didn't see it anymore. All you saw was the smoke from everything else. Yeah, right, right. And I kind of, you know, that was it. And then when I got clean and thought that, you know, I did two years of hard therapy and never mentioned sex addiction once <laughs> until the last day. Of the last day? On the last day. And I, I, I kind of brought something up and she was like, sit back down. And I was like, she went, I need to see you again next week. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll make an appointment and never went back. Okay, yeah, because you're like, I did of my two I'm years. I'm not give is... that one up. I wasn't giving that. <laughs> that one's too precious. But you know, the... that's been the biggest wreckage. That's been, that's caused the most harm. What would uh, it look like if you were uh, getting together with a new partner or something like that? Like, what was the average, like the way you met? Oh, everything was always the same cycle. I would be, in, I could be in a room of 3,000 people and I'd find the one with the biggest problems. Sure. I'm drawn and attracted to the energy of addiction. Uh-huh. I'm drawn. I'm attracted to the illness. That's what I'm attracted to. Uh-huh. I can smell it. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? And yeah. like, they will always. They always start off really like they haven't got a problem. Okay. And then suddenly, three months in, they go out one night and don't come back. Six months in, they lose a tooth. You know, it kind of. <laughs> you know, and you're bailing them out of the police station. It's yeah. always been that cycle. Yeah. But for me, it always starts off really healthy. Like, okay, this is going to be the one that's going to change me. This is the one that's going to stop. Yeah. I'm not going to act out in this relationship. And then I will go further. I go into the relationship. The more happy I get, the more destruction comes. I see. Okay. And it's always been a cycle. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm dealing with the childhood trauma. I'm going through therapy for that uh-huh. which has been amazing I, and how I, long have you been doing that I've been doing therapy? that for four months oh congratulations doing, on yeah, that. And yeah I kind of just like and the, the change has been in, immense and I kind of like uh, I'm in a monogamous relationship again which is insane and how long have you been in a monogamous well I've been, I've been my current partner eight years so congratulations and, on that you know well. in that time I've had very, lots of banana skins <laughs> and you know it's been awful yeah but you know it, and it, it's what the problem with sex addiction like any other addiction is it's not about anybody else you're not doing this to them you're doing it to yourself yeah but you try telling your partner it's not about them it's really really selfish yeah like all addiction selfish yeah but that this one kind of like it makes people feel less than it sure. makes them feel ugly yeah you know my drug addiction never ever made anyone feel ugly sure but my right. sex addiction does. Right. My Be- sex addiction affects people's intimacy levels. That they're just everything. They're feeling it, a safety. It's awful. Uh, it's yeah, awful. And yeah. you know, but like everything, I manipulate it because that's my illness. And this time around, I, I'm determined that I don't want to be that person anymore. Right. I conquered drink and drugs. I've conquered most other things. And uh, this is the one that I'm really gonna this grapple is the one, with. For, this yeah. is the one that's going. I'm not yeah. having this in my life. Yeah. Anymore. Well, you've been able to do that. With yeah, the other I went things, recently. So. I've, I've found real happiness again. Yeah, and that's the treasured thing. Yeah, you can't 100%. really. Yeah, once you feel it too, for the, for the totally, first time. Hundred percent. And I really, you know, I love David with all my heart. Yeah, I really do, and I love being in a relationship with him. But you know, I struggle with intimacy, and I have to learn how to deal with introversy. Yeah. I can have, you know, people go, oh, I sometimes I go to meetings or some places and I meet people and they go, I don't have a problem with intimacy. I, you know, I have sex in a bush and it's like, that's not intimacy. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Having sex with strangers is not intimacy. It's no. The other end of the scale. Yeah. Intimacy is letting someone know how you're feeling and what you want and being with someone. And exposing and all of you. 100%. Uh, to 
to the, the good, the I'm bad. Just, I'm uh, never really been able to give that to anyone. Yeah. I let them have a certain amount of it. Yeah. And I kind of let them take it back. Okay. Because it's, it's scary. Yeah, it's, of course it is. Yeah. It's, it's letting people in. What are your thoughts about people having um, either anonymous or casual sex? Do you think that oh, there's anything bad about it? No, you know, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, again, it depends on the person. Sure. You know, for me, if I, if I'm, ha- if I choose to have anonymous sex, it's not with one person. Oh, okay. One person wouldn't be enough. I'd have to have it all day long because you know it's it's, it's a drug. Yeah, right. It's a really, and it, more is better. Is. Yeah, one is too many and thousands never enough. And yeah, and it happens with everything. But you know, normal people and, I, and you know we were, use the word loosely normal, but people who don't have a problem and don't have, have obsessive behaviour, let them let them enjoy themselves, have fun as long as they're not hurting anyone else. I don't have a problem with what other people do. Sure. I have a problem with what I do. Now, when you were first getting clean, uh, was it a challenge to be around others who were indulging in substances? I kind of, yeah, for the first six months to a year it was. Yeah. I kind of kept myself away. I kind of just thought, I don't need any... A, I was finding a new way of life, and B, I was... I, I, you know, it was never about the temptation, but what it was was about the behaviors. Okay. And I had to find, learn a new way of life. I had to learn who I was. Sure. Because your whole life you'd been in this 100%. one milieu and yeah. And I had to stay away from those people. I, I, I had the people who in my life that wanted the best for me. Yeah. And the rest of them that wanted the best for themselves, yeah. I didn't have in my life. Now, did you find that those people, uh, former partying partners, or, or oh, they're what like have rats you? up a drainpipe? Yeah. And now, Go what on. was what was their uh, initial reaction when they found out that you were getting clean? Was there disbelief? Oh and, yeah, like, totally. Negative, None of them um, believed I would ever do it. None yeah. of them ever thought I could do it because it's but, a, that makes them think about their own. Of course. Yeah. The last thing they want is their mate, their 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 uh, main source of entertainment or their main source of partying yeah. ever to get clean. I was the same with my other friends got clean sure i used to tell people they were dead because okay. they, they go have you seen so yeah he's dead i see but he yeah. wasn't dead he's gone and got sober it was like you know yeah but you know they were dead to me because they were no use to me right it was yeah. exactly the same thing for me right and though you know the majority of those people went about and carried on doing what they were doing yeah without me sure and they'll always know, find a way of course they yeah. always you know, we're addicts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course we will. And you know what? I was no use to them anymore. So they kind of take themselves away. As I always say, the trash takes itself out. Sure. And your energy, whatever you're putting out there into mm. the world, right? It does and that's attract. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's about the, what you put out, you get back. Right, exactly. And, and, 100% within everything. Right, and what you said before about uh, with the uh, intimacy issues and the sex mm-hmm. addiction, it isn't about the other people because a lot of times we can say people like, oh, they broke our heart or people say that bitch did this. Yeah. It's not that. It, it's that you, uh, some other guests said it good, like they broke, I think John Grant said, uh, I broke my heart on them. Yeah, that 100%. It, and you, you know, what's good is the fact that, you know, I have a set of tools that allows me to look at my wreckage and what I do and my part in things. Yeah. When we do the steps, we get to step four and we make a, a complete moral inventory yeah. of our wreckage. Yeah. And then five, we tell somebody. And within that step four, we look at our, we don't look at resentments. Uh-huh. People, we write this long list of resentments. And it's not our resentment, but it starts off as our resentments with other people. Yeah. But when we break it down, yeah. we look at our part in it. Okay. Fuck yeah. me. You know, I've, I never looked at my part in anything. Right. No, no, I mean? right. Because it's too scary. It's totally. too, yeah, I, yeah. You know, and there's, you know, that's where the freedom comes. Right. And, and I always sometimes feel sorry for normal people that don't have a set of steps <laughs> to do that stuff. Sure, you know because I mean? stuff builds up over the years and, and things totally, go sideways. Man. And We carry that stuff around with us. Yeah. He, he said this to me in 1983. Some people, you know, I DJ some gigs sometimes and people come up to me and go, do you remember when you were out there in Ibiza in like 1989 and you said, I'm like, 
Are you, are you mental? Yeah, right. You know, like you've been holding on to that for like 35 years. Are you yeah. insane? Yeah. A you lot know. of times too, and friends can have falling outs over, the over these things. stupidest things. And I think the best thing is you can just, I was talking to a friend recently about this. There was a whole mix up of communication where each of their uh, sort of maladaptive defense mechanisms kicked in because of an unfortunate thing that was brought on by someone else. Yeah, always. Yeah. And then there was a firestorm, right? Yeah. And, and I just said, uh, because I've had to do this with myself, I said, just the best thing is just go there and don't blame, just say, I feel bad. I find that if you take ownership of, of something like that yeah. and say, and say I screwed up or whatever, but like yeah. if you, I, people will always understand if you say, I feel bad yeah. and hurt or whatever, yeah. we all can relate to that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I have cope, coping mechanisms. Like I used to always say to people, you know what? You may be right. <laughs> you're not but I'll let you think that you are if you're that was yeah. I used to always use and yeah. you know today I have to look at my part in everything because I know what a nightmare I am <laughs> do you get what I'm saying and, like, yeah. and everyone away, can be a nightmare but the problem with me is I'm a reactor instead of an actor Yeah, I will react to everything and yeah. then afterwards I think well, why did you do that <laughs> why right. didn't you just step back from it and, and look at it rationally and then go in and say okay I'm really sorry for my way yeah listen I screwed up instead and, of uh, saying so what if I said that and, and go for the jugular yeah and sometimes also it, even stepping it, back and finding there's a real freedom in that there is and also sometimes even if you are like well I know I'm quote unquote right here but what's the ultimate net good that we want like yeah. uh, do we want a, a fracture in this relationship because I'm right and I'm going to stand yeah. on that principle sometimes yeah. you know you take one for not the team but you know what I mean yeah I, I mean you know, and also what I've learned over the last 13 years is the biggest one biggest lesson out of them all is to play dead how do you I mean I don't need to go into the ins and outs oh, of everything with people that's right you know that's what right. someone's got beef with me and they're like there, there, there on social media or whatever. Just ignore them. Yeah, exactly. That, it's like that, trolls. You don't feed the that trolls. That kills them. Yeah, because that if you don't them. feed it with your energy, it's not going to live. Uh, and and that's what they want. They want your energy. They want to drain you. Yeah. And before I would be on online calling them every name under the sun, getting myself in deeper, deeper shit sure. every time. And it's about not doing that today. And not relitigating the, no. the situation. There's no need for it. Yeah, no, it's just no play dead. It. And you know, Naomi Campbell used to. Naomi always says to me, "Play dead. Why are you? Why are you interfering in it? Why just play dead?" Yeah. Yeah. You know, and now I'm playing dead to her. <laughs> Won't go there. Um, but, you know, it's uh, you know, it's 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 a really good lesson. Leading up to getting sober, you were homeless. Yeah. So basically what happened, I'd, lost, I'd moved to Pimlico. My brother had bought, I, I sold the house we were living in, but in the crack den. And they'd kicked me out there. And then my, my brother and my mum said, look, we're going to get you a house. You could choose wherever you want to live. Yeah. We'll pay the rent on it for the first year. You know, it was like, is it like a golden handshake. Sure, it? exactly. You know, he's not yeah, going to change. Yeah. Let, let's make sure he's okay, but let's not bother. And we can feel that like we did our yeah, part and did, exactly. didn't abandon him. Yeah. So I chose a flat in Pimlico, yeah. not far from here. Yeah. And I moved in there and within six months, they wanted the, the people who owned the house wanted me out. Oh, okay. Even though they had the, the rent for a year, they were like, okay, we're going to give you the money back. We don't want you in this house. Oh, okay, because it was that kind of commotion. Because the complaints, the police had come so many times. Sure. And, you know, yet again, it turned into Party Central. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I said to my partner, oh, can I come and stay at your house for a week? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. a week. Yeah. And of course, you know, that was it. I was, I was at his house. I'd moved into his house. 
but you know never really asked if I could ever move in so every there, time like, yeah. I would go out and act out and get drunk and blah 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 and do what I did I'd come home and he wouldn't let me in I was have to sleep rough oh okay you know that wasn't my house I was, yeah exactly you were uh, you know, a guest or a guest of my partner's house we yeah. were partners but we weren't married I wasn't living in his house right you know it was his flat but I used it and abused it. Sure, sure. So, you know, I would sleep rough and it kind of went on like that. And then what happened was once I got clean, yeah. I, I became homeless again. Really? Yes, six years because my sex addiction had taken over. Oh, wow. I'd stopped doing the work. I'd stopped doing everything. I didn't pick up a drink or a drug. But as I like to call it, I, I share this quite a bit, the fact that, you know, I caused so much damage in this in that six years. Yeah. Because, but I was responsible for that damage. I had no more smoke screens. Okay. Yeah. You know, my sex addiction. Although I was powerless, my addiction had taken over and I had allowed it to completely control and destroy my life. And it was at that point that I had yet again uh, a gift from God of, of desperation. Uh huh. And I asked for help, and that's when my you know I suddenly was homeless again. Yeah, I had two dogs. I'd left with two dogs. Yeah, being booted out, and I went and stayed with another friend. And he said to me, "No, you can move into my house as long as you want." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I moved in with George, as in boy George. And, yeah, uh, with the dogs, and you know that's kind of where I started to rebuild my life. Okay, because, you say where you said George with the drugs. No, boy George. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said with no, some not with the drugs. drugs. With the dogs. Oh, with the dogs. Sorry, my Don't apologies. Don't put words into my mouth. No, <laughs> scandal, scandal. No, yeah, yeah, George, yeah. I'd got George clean at this point. Oh, that's why. That's why I got confused because I was yeah, like, no, wait, George, George was. George has just got clean. I'd, I'd got help get George clean. And yeah. I moved into George's with with Taylor and Reggie, my other dog. And yeah. We uh, and that's kind of where I'd suddenly got on my knees and, and asked for help again and found a new sponsor and changed my life. It's remarkable too that the folks that you grew up with, I'm sure there must have been falling outs with some of them Always. up and down the years. But then you're uh, uh, reunited with George. I don't know how yeah. long before that happened. But yeah, no, a couple of years before that. I mean, I hadn't seen him for ages, years because the only place I used to see him was at the dealer's house. We'd bump, I'd bump into him. Sure. The dealer, we had the same dealer. Yeah. And he would look at me and think, I'm not as bad as that. And he would say to me all the time, well, you know, say what you want, but I'm not as bad as you. Sure. And that's a big thing, too, with people. Uh, 100%. We judge see... ourselves by other people's standards, you know. Yeah. We look at them and think, well, I'm not that bad. I yeah, can't be an that's... alcoholic. I'm not drinking cider on a park bench. Right, right. I'm it, having it champagne at the Groucho totally, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's insane. And, you know, all of those people, though, from before and now are all in my life because they're meant to be in my life. And a, a fascinating thing, too, about the new romantic thing, and this is true also of the mod culture and a lot of the, the London or the English yeah. cultures, it's an aspirational culture because all the prime movers back from the who and onwards um, came from lower economic um, yeah. Se- settings. Yeah. And then um, with the mod thing, it was like in the finest suits and all that stuff put together from the rubbish bins right yeah. at Carnaby Street. And then with New Romantic, it's like the ultimate version of Peacock, yeah, totally. the King and everything. Secondhand clothing, turning it into amazing clothes. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, that great example of Steve Strange turning away Mick Jagger yeah. at the door. It's yeah, just, it, I'd turn away Mick Jagger. Oh, you did? Yeah. No, you, I would. Oh, yeah. Did you turn away anyone else like that? that <laughs> I was turn away loads of people. But we used to turn away everybody when we used to do daughter clubs. Did you have time. a snicker about that? Was yeah, it, of course. We'd <laughs> be like, no, they're not coming in. And, you know, we'd, we'd never let anybody in just to, just to spite them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, literally, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, that was the way it was, you know, that was... And then we'd, we'd all dine out on that for, like, two weeks. You all created yourself into the world, and then you're having the papers write about you and stuff. And uh, that totally. must have been a, quite a head spinner. 
Yeah, of course. And, you know, because in those days, you know, it would have been very different if social media was around then. Because it would have been everywhere. But, you know, back then people wanted to write about it and people wanted to be interested in it because it was so... It was almost like a hidden secret that yeah. suddenly had been exposed. Sure, you know, yeah. World. You know, today you don't have hidden secrets. No, you don't. It's all over social media. Yeah, it, it goes viral person, and then... One person to post it and the rest of the world sees it. Yeah, exactly. Within an hour. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And and, and we, that's why it was so such an, a creative time because yeah. you had to do something to be seen. Right, right. And you had to find your voice. Right, Today yeah. you don't need a voice. Today you need two thumbs. <laughs> And but, that's kind of it. Although uh, social media does is an incredible tool for getting things out, like even a podcast. Or yeah, whatever. it is now these days. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. No, I about that. Then that was that's why the majority of you know people like Edward Emmental and who Edward Vogue and, and Mark Jacobs and we can go for all the list of the designs sure. all come from that era. Yeah, that was their era. That's you know the greats, John Galliano, Alexander, all Lee Bowery, all come from the most creative era in time. Right pre-social media absolutely and and the influence is still felt you still totally, see because you know what looks. you had to work you had to graft yeah you know you can't it wasn't about how many people followed you right but then it was how many people following you down the street but what they were carrying yeah right we had to fight for what, who we were and sure and it was really about just talent you made yourself to, you gave yourself a talent and also force of will 100 percent. you know surviving today you know I'm very blessed I'm not growing up in this world of social media. I love on, I listen, I live on social media. Yeah, yeah, you, I you love have it. a fabulous but account. I, I, great I don't memes think and... that I would be the person I was today if I had social media back then. And a lot of people in the jobs that they have now and the creativity that they've oozed over the last 30 years wouldn't be the same if it was if social media existed. Then. Sure, because it's all about like the amount of time that you're pouring into something and then exactly. how that grows and grows. And, and like, it's gone in an instant. You know, I yeah. could post 16 things in a day and they, they'd be passed around really quickly and gone. Yeah, especially the next big thing. Especially Insta stories. It's oh God, yeah. For, Boom, done. Done. I couldn't tell you what I posted like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Story. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But at the time, I'm like, yeah, this is, this, is, this is the post. Yeah, this is fabulous. This is the picture. This is the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. We're all guilty of it. Oh, yeah. Did I post today? Did I post enough today? That kind of thing. Oh, yeah. it's I all... posted so much yesterday that Instagram shadowed me. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I was shadowed yeah. last night. Amazing. I was awful. How, well, they, how do you get that uh, turned around? Like, basically, you have to wait 24 hours. Oh, is that how it is? Yeah, okay. it's this new thing they do. They, they think wow. that you're inappropriately posting or there's too much posting going on. They shadow you so no one can see your posts. There's rules are I, so I, strange I, I rang my assistant last night I was like why is my Instagram why is no one liking my Instagram stuff and, and he, he rang me like you've been shadowed for 24 hours oh, okay and then that and then the whole algorithm thing and the, oh, it's God, yeah. bananas like yeah. it shouldn't be that much work really no, it's an awful lot of work goes into <laughs> true it's about timing <laughs> no that's true now what would you say to someone who's listening who feels that maybe they're struggling yeah. with something and uh, is not sure how to hand what the first step would be. I would, opening your mouth. Okay. Speak up. Go. Be honest. Get honest. Honesty is like the fundamental rule. You know, if you can be honest with yourself and think, okay, I have a problem. Yeah. Not oh, like I'm not as bad as him, or I'm not as bad as her, or I'm not doing that, or you, you know, judging yourself by other people's standards is the level. You yeah. need to be honest with yourself. That The first step is being honest. Sure. The second step is opening your mouth and asking for help. Okay, yeah. However, you know, whoever it is to, but just ask for help. Just literally, you don't have to say, oh, I have this, I have that. Just 
open your mouth. I'm having trouble. Because you even. don't get fed. Yeah. If you don't open your mouth, you don't get fed. Yeah, no one knows what's yeah. going on for you. That's right. And everyone has a million things going on. But the other, thing, the other thing I think is that a lot of times people think that they don't want to burden others. But totally. People- but you know what? Those, but, you know, the majority of the time when you open your mouth, you say to someone, this is what's going on for me. That person you're telling to will relate to it because it's going on for them or someone yes. else in their family. And they don't talk about it because they don't want to burden you with it. That's exactly right. So, and there's the shame aspect. Oh, God, and we all know. think that well, our particular dark thing I didn't want to tell is- you because, you know, I know you're going through this. You know what? You telling them your problem will take their mind off that problem. They want to, you know, it's all about, you know, we have a saying in, 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 in the fellowship is that the therapeutic of that one addict helping another is unparalleled. And it's true. Yeah, sharing uh, your secrets, quote unquote, or your dark. I found that revealing more of myself on the podcast has been such a fulfilling thing. And then I get these incredible notes from of people. Of course you do. You know, when I do talks or I post stuff about addiction and my story, like I do pot these podcasts, or I do TV interviews and stuff like that. The amount of people that come to me and say to me, "Oh my god!" Like on Monday night, when I Tuesday night I did so house and showed the film. Yeah, and there was a kid there. He was thirty days. He was with his mum and his his wife who was pregnant, mm-hmm. and they had heard me on another podcast and come to hear hear me talk. Yeah, and they, the mum sent me the most incredible message. It's it's Just so like fulfilling, the fact that right? My honesty will help other people. Yeah, and it brings them people to it because if without honesty. Pardon my English, but we're all fucked. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And also, it's such a, a liberating uh, thing. It removes the burden of yeah. these things, no matter what totally. it is that you've had it or struggled. It takes the power out of it. Yeah, and exactly. For, you know, George, uh, George, as a boy, George always says to me, you don't have to tell everyone everything. And you know what? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, it's different yes, for everyone. It's different I for do. everyone. You know, yeah. what? you know, there's some little bit of my honesty is going to help somebody. Right. If I don't open my mouth and say that, no one else is going to identify to that. Sure. And it's also empowering for you because totally. then it's the, no, no shame, it's power. Like yeah, you said, yeah, I don't have shame anymore. Do you get right. what I mean? Right. There's nothing someone could come to me and say, I've got this on you. Yeah, they don't have anything on you. <laughs> oh, really? Did you read it on Instagram? <laughs> did, did I post, I, did it? I post yeah. it? Yeah. I'm sure I posted that three years ago. You know, there is nothing that someone can do that to me. And that's really, really an amazing thing. Yeah. It really is. It's it a real is. sense of freedom from that. Yeah. Because I don't lay awake at night thinking, oh God, I did this. And There's enough other terrorists to deal with. You, you know get, what I'm you, saying? Exactly, yeah. yeah. But on the same hand, I don't need a drink. I, I don't need a drink or a drug to fuck up my own life. I can do that quite easily with food, shopping, anything. If I allow my... my behaviors take control the compulsive yeah, oh my stuff God, you know. yeah you know i've had weight issues up and uh, throughout yeah. my life and everything and it's always uh, corresponded with not dealing with uh, other things yeah, you know and then like so uh then that's been much better yeah. which i'm happy about but it's always you know on my mind and everything um I-, I wanted to also ask about when you got back into djing yeah are you okay on time by yeah, the way of course yeah okay so you know when you when you you go to treatment and you're in rehab and they, they, the majority of rehabs will say, you can't go back to DJing and you can't go back to London. You need to stay in a small seaside town yeah, where yeah. people don't work. And yeah. They wander around coffee shops all day. Yeah. That's really healthy. And, you, you know, you can't be in that relationship that you were in. And my 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 outlook on that was, was I was never going back to anything. I was always going forward to it. Sure, okay. That's, and, yeah. you know, the the greatest drug I've ever taken and the, and the and the greatest drug I've ever had is music. Yeah. And for me, it was just about rediscovering that, rediscovering the basics of, of what I loved. And feeling it again, I imagine. Because I always share this, you know, 
when you the first time you go out, you're not going out because Peter, the drug dealer, is going to works at the bar, or the guy with long hair works behind the bar. You don't buy a ticket to a festival because you think, oh, there's going to be a really nice portaloo there to do drugs in. Yeah. What you buy a festival is because of the music. Yeah. You buy the the tickets to the club because you know you're going to hear good music. That's right. That is the thrill of when you go. The drink and the drugs come secondary to. And, and it gets confused sometimes Socially, where it's yeah, like, oh, if I'm going to something, I need to get sorted of for course. this or that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, for me, it was always about okay. I know I, I love music and I, I you know, I, I'm going to do what I believe in. Yeah. And I kind of went forward to DJing and it was kind of a big task at first because I gave too many little things so much power. Yeah, sure. And, and also I'm sure there was a fear of, can I do this oh, without the... majorly. Yeah, yeah. Majorly. And, and I kind of think the secret was just to get on with it, not to build it up and not give it too much power, not to make a big old grand entrance of I'm back. <laughs> Sure. Just yeah. do. Just take it small little steps. Yeah, and just do it. Just like going to the dentist to or whatever. Learn to breathe. And when yeah. I say that, just learn the basics of of surviving of what you want to do. Um, you know, and you can do anything. You know, I say to people all the time that there is no such thing as I can't in recovery. Uh huh. Because you can do absolutely anything you, can. you want. Anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. You can be who you want to be. That's right. And you can create your life. You can totally. create yourself. And which you, you know, And the new romantic thing is a great sort of uh, overall symbol of that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because, you know, it was like, you know, we, we all come from working class backgrounds and suddenly, you know, I grew up wearing my mum's clothes. Yeah. And it was about taking those clothes out the front door and having the bollocks to wear them out and say, okay, this is who I am. Yes. Right. This exactly. This is who I am. Fully presenting, yeah. Without it being, you know, at the time, a lot of us, a lot of it was about wearing a mask and not letting people in. Yeah. But you know what? It was about creativity. Right. That creativity that put us inwards. It was about bringing it outwards and and becoming. Okay, this is who I want to be. Like a, a, a lumpet, do you get what I mean? Right, and then that leads to things like, uh, you know, Bowie coming to oh, the Blitz and, and yeah. bringing everyone into the the, the video, Ashes and, to Ashes, and then you're in the thing that you uh, totally. admired. I mean, and Bowie was very, very lucky to be invited into that. Sure, yeah, no, right, so, exactly. I mean, That's the attitude too. Yeah, Bowie, you know, like found this. No, 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 no. He was very lucky to be invited into. Oh no, that. certainly, but it's do that thing mean? of like this thing that gave you such inspiration, and then 100%. suddenly you're next next to it, and they're saying hello. Yeah, how are you? You know, because yeah, you're there, and you're you're there for a reason. It's like George, you know, boy George. Everyone was like, you know, when he first started doing the whole, is it a boy? Is it a girl syndrome? When he first came out, yeah, you know, he never he never he could have gone. Okay, I can't do this. I'm going to take the makeup off. Yeah, right. You know, he didn't. Right. He carried on with it because that's who he was. He and, and because he was so genuinely himself. Yeah. Grandma's phone. Now on the head. It's the thing about you be who you are, and people will. They will respect see that. It. People will see it. They will. Because they believe it. You've, you know, you're selling them you. People people buy that. Yeah. They don't buy you putting on makeup and, and juggling cl- balls and, and making bl- balloon animals yeah. as a clown. Do you know what I mean? We all know clowns aren't funny. Right, right. Well, because yeah. you think that's what they want to see. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. their job. That isn't who they are. Right. That's the difference. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, that stuff gets taken off and put in a carrier bag and taken home on a bus with them. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Right. People like George would get on the bus as George. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, and there's, a, there's this like a, a sort of guardian power that uh, uh, en- envelops you when you're just completely yourself. Totally. Yeah. You know, we, you know, you could go way back when to like Quentin Crisp, who was another great believer of himself. Yeah, sure. You know, and if it wasn't for these queens that believed in themselves, you know, 
we, we would be in, we would have been in a world that we're still living under stones. Yeah. Do you get know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. It's about self-belief. It's about those queens that actually thought, right, you know what? You're not going to fuck with me because this is who I am. That's right. Do you get yeah. what I mean? And, and people respect it. Let's go to Stonewall. Let's do all of these things. These great queens that yeah. kind of just created who they were and yeah. created such, such dynamics around them. Lee Bowery was another. Right, exactly. That's As who pioneers, Lee was. Pioneers. That's that, who Lee uh, was. Yeah. You know, John Galliano, we could go on. That dude, There's so many amazing queens that just, this is, this is who I am. Take right. it or leave it. Yeah. And the impact and, is still felt. You know, they're all like Jesus. <laughs> there's so many Jesuses <laughs> that had following. Yeah. You know, that, you know, that changed the world. And they did change the world. It's funny because a friend of mine and I uh, had a very Bowie Christmas a couple of years ago. Yeah. The Christmas before Bowie passed. And now Bowie's tied into Christmas for me. Because yeah, he's a spiritual yeah, leader. You know yeah. what I mean? There's so much about him that is so impactful 100%. in so many ways. Now, do that. Uh, do you remember the first music as a kid that you heard that just really like lifted you and, and hit you? Yeah, well, I kind of think the first record, you know, I grew up listening to my dad and mum and dad would play like 60s, like Elvis and yeah. Gene Pitney and Roy Orbison and all these oh, and Nat King Cole and we would listen to this music on a Sunday growing yeah. up and for me kind of like the first track that ever changed my life was Crocodile Rock by Elton John oh fabulous yeah and I, I made my mum buy it my mum would I remember I used to ask my mum to get it out of the cupboard because they kept it in the cupboard they wouldn't <laughs> let me play it because I used to play it over, over and over just to drive yeah. the, you know because I was obsessed you were with upset. it. I have to hear it again once it ends. 100%. I have to hear it again, yeah. You know, and so that was kind of the first track. And then I suddenly discovered my brother, elder brother was like into real soul music and lovers rock. And that kind of, I kind of listened to him playing those music and yeah. stuff. And that kind of changed my life because, you know, suddenly I was listening to music that meant something. Sure. Vocals that get, had feeling and like could take you and transport you. And yeah. That, that's when I really started to understand the power of music. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, Street Life by the Crusaders was kind of one of the big ones up there for yeah, me. Yeah, sure. You know, because I used to think I am that. I am, you know, I am that person that lives on the streets. Yeah, you know right. I mean? Yeah, it's a thing that you and relate to. And you this. shine just like a superstar. It was like, you know, I used to like think the words were about me, like everybody's else. Would be. Well, yeah, but that's the magic and the of power of that. And then it's that helps incredible. you to, again, it's an aspirational thing and it puts you in a place. It's a guiding light uh, off in the distance that well, you follow. You know, it's, for me... It's like the one track that changed my life was No More Drama by Mary Chase Blige. Uh -huh. And I used to play that track every day in the, in the darkest days of my addiction. Yeah. And I, I used to literally, when it was going to be played at my funeral when I died. You had the whole was, drama mapped yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I, of course. I was yeah. going to be carried into by Womack and Womack, put <laughs> steps on the dance floor. <laughs> then No More Drama was going to play as the curtains shut. Yeah. And, you know, and I worked out who was coming to my funeral because that's all I had to look forward to. You know, even in the darkest days, music was incorporated in that. It, you know, that's all I had to look forward to. It was the playlist of my own funeral yeah. and the funeral. Right. And today it's not like that. Today I have life and I l love life. And, you know, I wake up in the morning thinking, oh, God, thank you for another day. What am I going to do with this day? Yeah. There's not a day that I think, oh, God, I don't want to live. You know, not this I again. don't think like that. Yeah. I don't think like that. Right. I'm, you had uh, also, didn't you have a rather uh, magical moment with Mary J. Blige yeah. later so on? I've, I've had a few magic moments with Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Since then. But, you know, uh, I was working on a job with, for Naomi, actually, for Fashion Relief. And Mary J. was Mary Jane was there. And I um, I told this story in the, like quite a few times in the press about the No More Drama. And another DJ called DJ, uh, 
what's his name? Uh, this American DJ was like, come and meet Mary Jane. She really wants to meet you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I went over and I was like, hi, how you doing? And she was like, uh, start talking to her. And so I started telling the story. She said, I already know your story. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. She went and I just want you to, she started to cry. Yeah. And I, I was like, standing there and she was like I just want you to know that that person wasn't you this person who stands before me is you yeah and she said and you, you just never forget that and I was just like oh thank you yeah that's a beautiful thing and yeah. then of course she became best friends with one of my best friends like Kate and so I see I saw quite a bit of Mary Jane over the years yeah but you know I'll never forget that moment because you know that kind of was like okay this is recovery yeah this is recovery I, i've gone from planning that song to, to, to your final moments people, to yeah. actually working with mary jane on like in, in the south of france yeah you know, at, the, at the Cannes film festival two parties with her and then i did another two parties with her yeah and djing and she sang over my set yeah that's recovery right and that's another testament to the uh, magic things the universe 100 comes about when you put Algorithms. your intention yes <laughs> <laughs> it's not about talking about you know i oh, talking about ikea and suddenly you, you open your 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 instagram and, <laughs> yeah. and up pops an ikea ad. Yeah, right right you know what i yeah, mean yeah. oh god that's weird we were talking about that 10 how minutes funny ago. i wonder how oh, that happened how, how are those this is the universe doing it yeah exactly you know, i mean that's that is the that's recovery yeah you know, it doesn't. It doesn't get better than that. That's that's the feeling of like, oh my god! And I get that feeling when I help someone. Someone will come to me and say, "My friend's in trouble," or "I need your help," and I yeah. help them. And I, I do give them what was given to me. And when they get that glint back in their eye, that is the most magical feeling in the world. Yeah. People will say to me, you know, you give so much time to that person or that person or that person. Do you, do you get paid by them? I'm like, I don't get paid. I get, get paid by God. Yeah. God pays me. You know, I get everything back that I put out. The feelings that I get from somebody getting up and being two years clean and sending me a message, ah, money can't buy that shit. Yeah, right, exactly. Money can't buy that shit. That person, you're giving that person's life back to them, help them see their self-worth. Right. It's a magical thing. It is. It's a magical thing. And you know what? It was bestowed on me. And it's my right to bestow it onto somebody else. Right, right. You know, this is a, life is like a marathon race. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I've stopped running now. Okay. <laughs> I just still pass on the baton. You know, I, I, I have nothing to run for. Yeah. I don't run for buses. I don't run after people because I've got, they've got something I want. Yeah. I kind of, I'm, I'm at my own steady pace. Right. And, and that's recovery. That's a blessing. That's, to, yeah. to be in life and, and walk at your own pace. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's everything. That's beautiful. I think that's a wonderful note to close on as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Tony, for no, doing this. No, thank you. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you once again, DJ Fat Tony. And I'd like to remind you to head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. See which reward tier works right for you and slide on into the Thunderbuns of Hot Dog Club. 